0: You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello, and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Uh, we continue our look toward the 2023 draft. Uh, joining me today is Matt Drake, and uh, we have a special guest as well today from The Athletic. It's Scott Wheeler. We'll
1: start with Scott. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well. As you guys know, this is uh, crunch time. Just got back from a few days at the Combine in Buffalo, and now sort of twiddling my fingers and finishing up my uh, my last sort of bits of content that are going to roll out before the draft, and then it's off to Nashville. So I'm... Uh, I'm looking forward to putting a bow on, on this draft class. And then uh, a day later, I'll be thinking about Macklin Celebrini.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, are you, have you started your 2024 prep yet? Um, yeah, we've, the- we've
1: put out, we've put out one list. I've got a very, very, very early list out at the athletic from a couple of months ago. And then I'll have another one uh, probably in August. I typically do like a preseason one. So I'll probably have a new one in August that I'll have to start uh, chipping away at. And uh we'll have the Helsinki Gretzky Cup in August as well which uh, features a bunch of those guys obviously so uh that's that's sort of next on the calendar
0: yeah obviously we'll 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 talk about the draft but with a an a slant towards towards the canadians but also that might be the most interesting part of the entire draft as well because mm-hmm. the, there there seems to be a consensus top 5 you know your rankings had you know Connor Bedard in, in tier 1 and then four guys at tier 2 and and in most cases that would make picking at five a good thing, but in <laughs> in other cases it, it seems like you know you know your your colleagues at are Athletic Arpan Basu uh, wrote yesterday that the Canadians have been rumored of trading up, uh, or trying or inquiring about trading up. Uh, there has been a lot of discussion about how they're not taking Richkov. You know, Ken Hughes has been like adamant that you know yeah it's it's, it's there are concerns with the contract and things like that. There seems to be a lot of smoke and and information out there with the Canadians. What do you make of so much noise coming out of that You know, as we head into the draft?
1: Well, I think there are two ways to read it. The first would just be to accept that it doesn't seem like they're going to take Michkov and that they they appear to be sort of tilting towards another direction. And then the second, if you're a conspiracy theorist, is, okay, if they're doing all of this talking, maybe it's a professional, I mean, you talked about smoke, maybe it's a smoke screen, right? Maybe this is some, some extremely professional, extremely high level, extremely convincing smoke screening that's happening, and they're just going to take them in the end. So uh, I I think it's much more likely that it's the former, uh, and that the re- part of the reason they're considering trading up is because they just don't feel comfortable with the risk that comes with Matve Michkov and the contract and the geopolitical situation between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, everything about it. And, and even beyond that, I think an important layer of this that doesn't get discussed enough is not just that you have to wait three seasons for him to come over here, but that in the meantime, you're not likely to be involved whatsoever, or at least in a very limited manner in his development. And I think that the Montreal Canadians would be more inclined to take Matt Vaynichkov if they could come to come to some sort of an arrangement with, with Ska, that says we get to come over there and spend a little bit of time with him throughout the year and that kind of a thing. And I just don't get the sense from, from St. Petersburg that uh, that's something that they're comfortable with. They, they won't want whichever team drafts Miechkov to be meddling in the development process. And uh, that piece of it, I think is extremely important because the Montreal Canadians want to be involved with whoever they pick. They want to have, um, uh, it's less about a say and more about just uh, influence and, and a relationship and sort of bring that player along. And, and th- that piece of it in the three years that he's over there, it just isn't likely to be a major factor. You're not probably going to get to spend much time with him and, and sort of have a uh, an influence in that process. So you won't know until you get him over here what he's going to look like. I think for for me, I I would make the argument that, Regardless of whether they're involved in that process, he's going to be just fine, and he's going to come over here and be a star player, probably immediately. Um, but that's that's not a, a a sort of easy proposition if you're the Montreal Canadiens either, and you've got this premium asset that not only you have to wait for, but you can't uh, you can't be involved in in the interim.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's an interesting point. Because I, and something that I, I thought about myself is that it, it's not even like there's going to be like when when you have guys and, you know, let, let's say they take a, a Will Smith or a Ryan Leonard, you know, they're going to the NCAA in, in all likelihood. Yeah. You at least know they're going to have big roles there. Right. And, and with with a team like Scott, there's no guarantee that he's going to get, you know, top six minutes, especially early on. Um, and you know he might get loaned to a team like Sochi again, where you know the development isn't as the the environment isn't as you know conducive. Um, so I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty, not just within the contract, but you know, not having even a certainty about what kind of role they're going to play um, with with the, with the KHL team, right?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. I do think that he's so talented that uh, what happened last year isn't likely to repeat itself. Uh, I mean, they saw him go there and lead that team in scoring, and I fully expect that he'll come back and play on PP1 and play in Ska's top six. And if they he doesn't, then you then you do have to worry. Um, but I, I uh, they, they're not- obviously notoriously slow with that process over there in terms of giving players opportunity. He does feel like he should be an exception to that rule, though, uh, and I'd be not not shocked if he if he were back where he was last year, where he, he, they just weren't giving him enough looks. But I would probably be a little bit surprised if he's not uh, an impact guy for them next year.
0: Yeah, and and you you mentioned the, the you know the relationship with Scott, and it's kind of interesting because the Canadians do have a connection to Scott, right? Nick Bobrov spent mm-hmm. three years there as their director of North American scouting. His father. Um, was a scout there for for a lot of years as well. You'd kind of think that the the, the uncertainty is not something that Montreal would be afraid of, because you think that they'd have a pretty good idea of what's going on. So you know, do you think that the the question, like the the concern, is more? just not having that control. Like they have a pretty good idea of what's going to go on there, right? Like the, the uncertainty is not something that would scare them in this case.
1: Do you, think, do, you do you agree with that? No, but I think the certainty that they do have may have led them to the conclusion that right. he's maybe not as, as complete yeah. a player as everybody thinks so that there's yeah. question marks there about him. Uh, that certainty is an asset to them in that it allows them to likely learn more about yeah. who he is and what he's all about. And there is uh, not to go back to the smoke analogy, but there is smoke about, I've heard this from several scouts uh, with multiple different organizations. There is smoke about him mouthing off at the coaching staff earlier this year and pouting in practices and all of that stuff was happening. And part of the reason he sort of forced his way out of, out of Scott so that he could go play with Sochi was because him and the, uh, the coaching staff there were uh, sort of in a, in a pretty tense situation by the sounds of it. So um yeah, maybe they've got concerns. Maybe they've heard from Ska about sort of attitude issues. And I don't think that's a make or break thing with him. He's obviously been a captain for for the Russian national team across events. And he's got a lot on his shoulders in terms of expectations and all of that. So I can definitely sympathize with the kid for sure. Uh, but some teams are probably less comfortable than others with when they hear stuff like that. And I don't think it's, uh, it's not like what Ryan Merkley in his draft year had going on, for example, where he was a complete loose cannon all the time, but uh, they're definitely, uh, it It didn't go well for him in Ska to start last year. And uh, I'm sure if they're well connected there, they've heard all about that.
0: Yeah. It seems to me that the, the, what the Canadians are going to be doing their homework here, it's not going to be like, they're just going, to be like, Oh, you know, Russia, we're scared. We don't know anything. You know, it's going to be the opposite. Where if they don't take him, it's because they know something that maybe makes it less of an obvious pick. And you know, listen, there's parallels to this, right? Last year, heading into the draft, everyone's like, "Yeah, they're picking Shane Wright." (laughs) Like there, there's no question there. And then as you got further and further into the draft, it's, oh, uh, maybe they're not going to take Shane Wright. So it, it, the conventional wisdom and and the. Conventional pick is, is not something that in this short period that we've seen from from the Kent Hughes um, administration. Something else that Kent Hughes said, and, and I want to get your your take on this a little bit, is you know, he said at the draft after they picked Slavkovsky last year that 25-foot-eight players don't scare him. Um, sorry, a 5-foot-eight player doesn't scare him, but 25-foot-eight players scare him. And the Canadians are in a position where they, they do have – you know, if you Cole Caulfield is definitely going to be a mainstay in their top six, you might have a guy like Sean Farrell who might sneak in there. You have a guy like Lane Hudson who's going to come up there. Do you think that you know, when you look at guys in that range, and and Mitch Coff is one of them, uh, and and Zach Benson is probably another one in that range where he's a little bit smaller or shorter than the other guys. Do you think that that's a concern where people are trying to pinpoint where Montreal might go at five?
1: Yeah it's definitely a a worthwhile talking point I mean even on top of those guys you mentioned and these guys may not make it but Philip Meshar is not a big kid either mm-hmm. right so um you go down the list uh it's there there's a number of them in the system so uh it's a piece of the puzzle even guys like Jordan Harris aren't the aren't the biggest kids so uh, there's there's you already start to add them up and then suddenly you've got seven eight guys that are on the on the smaller side and uh I'm not uh the type I'm sure you've read my work I'm not the type that's all that concerned about that I think good players are good players and you gotta keep your focus there and you can figure out the other stuff down the line um but in saying that I'm sure it's something that they're that they're thinking about um and yet I've heard them I've heard them tied to players like And this uh, might be a little breaking news here, but I've heard them tied to players like Andrew Cristal. And I think if Andrew Cristal slips into the second round, that they could conceivably use their early second round pick on a guy like that. I still don't. I I think they're cognizant of it in terms of um, just in terms of 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 how many guys they have that look like that. Yeah. but I think push comes to shove. They still are a team that recognizes that, okay, if, if there's a value gap here, we need to just keep taking those guys uh, and sort of figure out adding a little bit of size to the roster down the line. And, and they've got a little bit of that too. I mean, yeah. we all know what doc and, and Slavkovsky and those guys look like as well. So it's not like, uh, certainly uh, we know what Arbor Jack looks like too. <laughs> so it's not like they don't have any of that. Um but it's it's de- I'm I'm sure it's something that's in the back of their head, especially after last year where they chose after Slavkovsky chose uh, a number uh, <laughs> of guys. So yeah. um, including the uh, the tourney kid who went over and played, <laughs> right. Slavky, right. So, yeah, um, yeah there's there's a, I'm sure it's going to be a part of their process maybe to to go about it a little bit differently this year. Yeah,
0: the, the director of analytics, Christopher Boucher, was was on their their behind the scenes draft video, saying, "Okay, if we take Slavkovsky because of his size, does that mean we don't have to think about size for the rest of the draft?" Uh, and and then you saw that with <laughs> with with, with and Lane Hudson, and you know they definitely don't shy away from it. You know they give Caulfield a, a big contract as well, so it's not like it scares them. Um, and, and I wonder if maybe they they pick somebody like a, a Leonard or a, a, a Ryan at, at five, and then. You know, like you mentioned, take a swing with their late first or early second. I don't think they'll keep both of those picks. I think one of them is likely out the door. Uh, but you know, you, you guys have you have guys like Cristal, uh guys like uh, Gavin Brindley and, and Bradley Nato, who, who might be available in that range where you can take a yeah. bigger swing uh, as well. Um, Matt, do you have anything to, to jump in with right now?
2: Well, <sighs> I kind of wanted to because you, you you're mentioning some. The smaller players, the concern overtaking the smaller players. I wonder, is this something that the Habs should even really be worried about at this point? You look particularly at the center position, right? Who do they have right now? They got Nick Suzuki, not the biggest guy, but definitely not small. He's over two hundred pounds, and we we saw him last year. You know, bullying some people on the ice. They've got Kirby Doc, um, Christian Dvorak is there for the time being, and then you, you also have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who has basically all but announced that he's going to be a Montreal Canadian at some mm-hmm. point why would we be concerned about going after one of the bigger centers? I feel like this is going to be a Dylan Strome, Mitch Marner situation. If we take uh, Will Smith or Ryan Leonard, sure. It, it fills maybe that perceived need at the time being, but then we're overlooking a guy like Zach Benson. And I really feel like, again, nothing against Dylan Strome, nothing against Will Smith, nothing against Ryan Leonard. I feel like this is something where a couple of years down the road, we're going to look back at it and go, well, you know, that dynamic playmaker who happens to be extremely good at both ends of the ice might've been the guy that we should have gone with regardless of his size. So I'm wondering, Scott, what do you think about that? Do you think this is an actual need for the Habs? Or do you think that this is just them kind of looking down the list of guys that they've got and going, well, we've got a few guys that are too small and maybe we're actually addressing a a need. That's not really there necessarily.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't worry too much about it. Ultimately push comes to shove. I would take wherever I have them. I would take an Andrew Cristal and a Zach Benson. I mean, I've got Benson sixth on my list, right? So uh, and I think the mm. Habs should treat it no differently just because they've taken a few guys like that doesn't mean they need to sort of stop there. So um, you need to find talent. You can find, uh, I say this all the time, you can find the six foot two, 220 pound third line winger in free agency for a couple of million bucks every year. Like we, we just saw the Vegas yeah. Golden Knights win the cup and they've got carrier and guys that weren't, uh, weren't sort of didn't have cache or notoriety and were signed for cheap and are excellent at like Carrier is one of the best bottom six players in the league. And uh, they, they acquired him at basically no cost. Right. So um, you can do that. You can't, you cannot find more of the Nick Suzuki's or the Cole Caulfield's doing that. Right. So uh, I'm all for making that a priority at the draft. I would say just on your Will Smith note that I think Will Smith is the borderline the most purely skilled player in this draft with the puck on his stick. So I think you're, you're sacrificing anything there in terms of taking him over Zach Benson. Uh, But certainly if it's a conversation between uh, Zach Benson and anyone else, who's not from that top five. uh, Yeah. I mean, he, the, the way he plays uh, his versatility, um, how, how quick he is to get up and under sticks, his playmaking, the, the two way game, he's one of the best two way forwards in the draft. Um, all of that is it's, it's legit. And just because he's 160 pounds, I don't think in his case makes it any less legit. I think if he were a passive player, one of those players who wasn't sort of in the mix and everything that happens on the ice, then sure. You start to question, okay, how involved can this kid be? But that's, that's not Zach Benson. Zach Benson played on a team with six foot four Connor Geeky this year and was involved in twice as many board battles as him. Right. So Uh, he's, he's fearless out there. He's, he's sort of that, that competitive, competitive, smaller player. Uh, And then on top of that has all the skill that you'd expect. So uh, yeah, Benson's he's going to be interesting because it's always those guys that, that fall. Uh, That's just the bottom line teams push comes to shove teams tend to prioritize centers and defensemen at the top of the draft. And it's always the smaller mm-hmm. winners that fall. So I would not be surprised. I know everybody likes Zach Benson. He's a beloved player in the scouting community because of the way he plays. Um, but in saying that I still would not be surprised if he falls out of the top 10, if only because teams are going to prioritize the the premium positions there.
0: That, that's actually a good, a good segue because, you know, a couple of names that, that we hear a lot about that you we know, are outside of the top five with the Canadians is is Ryan Leonard and, and David Reinbacher. And and Leonard the, the, the buzz started even before the U18s. And then during the U 18s it kind of became you know he became one of the players that really stood out um a little bit. Maybe maybe you know distancing himself from um, or at least maybe putting him closer in the the range of he has his two line mates, uh, and you're really high on Gabe Perot as well, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but you know, if you had Ryan Leonard at 11, David at 12. It, are these? I don't want to say they're safe picks because they're still very good players, even as you get down to that range. But it is what 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 could you expect out of those two guys, and what makes them out, You know what what keeps them from being in that top five I would say what, what's what's the things that they don't have that maybe the other players do
1: yeah it's a good question um first of all I, I always like to preface this by saying that 11 and 12 even though I'm a slightly lower on them than the consensus that still means that I believe those two players are excellent excellent yeah. players especially in a draft class as strong as this one so um I think I think the world of both of those kids for very different reasons. Reinbacker, in terms of your question of ceiling and what he could be, um, he's not, I, I think there are going to be several, even outside of those, those uh, top five guys, there are going to be several sort of 70 plus point players that come out of this draft. That's just the quality of the talent that exists at Forward. I think it's going to look a lot like 2015 that way, where in 2015, you obviously had Mitch Marner and Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid, but you also had... Miko Rantanen and Brock Besser and Matt Barzell and Travis Konechny and Sebastian Ajo, who were taken much lower, right? I think this draft is going to look similarly to that. Um, And I'm not sure he's going to be one of those guys, but I think the expectation for Leonard would be that if you get a 50 to 60 point player who scores 25 to 30 goals and is one of the most competitive sort of hardest working players in the league, while he plays like that, then suddenly you've got a an extremely impressive player. Like there's a reason that teams love the the Tyler Toffoli's of the league, right? The competitive scorers who can give you fifty or sixty points and play on your first line but maybe aren't going to lead your team in scoring kind of thing. So uh, I think that's what you have to envision out of, out of Leonard. He's a very strong kid. He's a very stocky kid for five foot, 11, sort of six foot, not the tallest kid in the world, but a a really impressive athlete who like you, you run into him at the rink, you tell right away that he's a muscular kid. Um, Can obviously rip the puck extremely competitive. One of the most competitive players in the draft. And and has has really good skill in terms of his hands as well. It's not just he's not just the push and pop shooter. He's he can make plays for himself. He showed as this year progressed a little bit more creativity. I don't think that's ever going to be the hallmark of his game, but he did did show some more playmaking. And I think Will Smith and Gabe Perot kind of brought that out of him a little bit. And he couldn't tunnel vision as much with them on the ice because they were just so good at getting open for him as well. So. Um, lots of progress this year, very good player. And maybe if he's a 50 or 60 point player, his total impact on the game is still higher than a kid who's, uh, comes out of this draft and he's giving you 70 points. Right? So I think that's what they imagine. They, I think they want more scoring. Uh, I think they want to add a little bit of a competitive edge to their sort of top six, top nine group. And that's what he would, in theory, provide. Uh, reinbacker is an interesting one. Because Reinbacker, outside of Conor Bedard, and maybe Adam Fantilli is probably the closest to NHL-ready. He's one of only three players. Uh, those are really the only three players who could conceivably play NHL games next year. Uh, he's done it in the Swiss National League, which is a, an extremely good league now. I think it's very important to stress that. That league is better than the, than the Finnish Liga. They pay higher salaries than the Finnish Liga. And uh, there it's better league than the German DEL. Um, I would say that really outside of Sweden and Russia, that's the best league in Europe right now. So um, for him to play big minutes there to to do it against men and former NHL players uh, is, is no small thing. Um, and the, the question there is, okay, this guy looks like a safe projection as a six foot, two 20 minutes a night defenseman who can play in your top four. Uh, give you 35, 40 points a year, be a sort of really good number two, number three defenseman. The question there is, can he find a little bit more offense, a lot like Jake Sanderson and Moritz Seider did after their draft years? Um, Can he find a little bit more offense and then emerge as as kind of more of a power play guy and more of a point producer? And then suddenly you're in the number one defenseman conversation. Uh, I think that's less likely, just to sort of, if, if you're familiar with his game, he's a very smart player he's got good skill, he skates well, all of that's true. But there isn't a lot of dimension to his game offensively, and he doesn't have a big shot. Um, so there, there are a couple of things there that will maybe keep him from becoming a true number one. But if if you get a number two defenseman uh, out of fifth or sixth overall, that's that's still a, a good pick. So uh, that's the the calculation that they're going to make is okay, if, if this guy can become a sort of consistent 21 22 minute a night guy who can play in all situations for us is that is that worthy of passing up on a high end forward and uh it's a conversation that that i think all of those teams in that sort of five to eight range are going to be having
2: yeah so quick you know, quick follow-up on Rhinebacker though because the habs have been linked to him do you think they need to reach for him at five or would they hypothetically be able to trade down? Like how much interest is there legitimately inside of the top 10 in Rhinebacker? Would Could they conceivably move down to nine or 10 still get him and then stack some more assets if that's what they really want to do instead of reaching for him at five.
1: Not likely if only because we know that Arizona <coughs> has taken forwards consecutively with all of their high picks, right? They took three years ago. They took Dylan Genther last year. They took Connor geeky and Logan Cooley. Uh, they've just gone forward pretty consistently at the top of the draft. And I think there will be a lot of appeal in Arizona to take a, a sort of premium defenseman here. Um, that doesn't mean okay. it's a foregone conclusion. I know that Arizona is really high on Dalibor Dvorsky, and I think they're strongly considering him at six as well, even if Reinbacker's there. Uh, but between the risk of, of Arizona taking him six, and then again, I would add Philly to that mix at seven uh philly has i mean keith jones has made it clear since being hired as president in philadelphia the very first thing he said in one of his very first interviews was we're going to build this team from the back end out that's what i believe in and uh we're going to if we if we win a stanley cup it's going to be because we have six excellent defensemen kind of thing so uh, i think they're going to make that a big big priority in philadelphia and he's obviously the guy in this draft so i think if you're looking to trade back to eight or nine with with Washington or Detroit that the reality is, is that he's probably just not going to be there, which puts them again in such a weird little wedge uh, at fifth overall.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's funny. He, listening to you talk about Ryan Bakker, it, it's it's kind of similar to to the way that people talked about Caden Gooley leading up to his draft. And um, he didn't maybe yeah, add think- as much offense as... Um, as Cider and, and Sanderson, but but there's a conversation where he kind of raises profile a bit after his draft year, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think Caden's a little more physical than Reinbacker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. plays a more of a stand-up style, if you will, defensively. backers, more of a stick on stick guy kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, there's there's some similarities then there. I, I think you would hope if you're taking Ryan at five, that he becomes a better player than Caden Gooley. And Caden is obviously a very good player. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah there's the, the similarity some similarities there yeah.
0: the thought of penciling in those two guys for you know 10 years in your in your top 4 is pretty is pretty yeah. tem- tempting i think for any gm um to have those guys kind of penciled in and not have to worry about them um and and i was surprised a bit that you mentioned that Ryanbacker's upside was so high because he's he's kind of seen as as kind of this kind of like you mentioned nhl ready um but there still seems to be a little bit of um, potential for for growth uh, offensively, even if that's not as likely uh, as maybe some of the other um, some of the other players as well. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and uh, we'll come back with uh, with Scott Wheeler uh, after a word from uh, from sp- some sponsors. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever.
1: Loki, Loki,
2: Loki, Loki. Loki.
0: Number five with with the Canadians, uh, I want to talk about a little bit about Gabe Perot um, because uh, I'm sure you've noticed that you're a little probably a little higher on him than than other places. Um, leading up to the draft, w- what is it about his game that that you like so much?
1: Well, I think that it it all starts and ends with two things. One, inside the offensive zone, he's probably the highest sort of. I hate I hate the term hockey IQ, but he's probably the sort of highest. IQ offensive zone player in the draft. So the way I mean, certainly Connor Bedard, Matt Vamichkov are up there. Will Smith's up there, but the he sees even even relative to those guys, he sees the game at a more advanced level. I would add uh, Jaden Perron is probably in there. Luca Cagnoni, the defenseman out of Portland, is probably up there. Uh, but Gabe's that that classic sort of eyes in the back of your head, Daniel and Henrik Sedin type of of sort of spatial awareness on the ice. Uh, the number of plays he made this year where he found found a guy in space with a perfect pass on the weak side of coverage or the the sort of blind spin pass or the little drop pass between his legs to someone who hadn't even been calling for the puck or uh, finding players when they don't even expect to be found with passes that they then bobble because he's he's getting pucks to them when they're not even ready to have pucks come to them kind of thing. Uh, it's 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 pretty unbelievable to watch. Uh, and then on top of that, the second piece that I sort of hinted at is his, his hands also get an extremely high grade. So his ability to break guys down one on one, to hang onto the puck inside the offensive zone, uh, to sort of slip in and out of holes, uh, also extremely, extremely high end. Um, the The question with Gabe is and if you've ever bumped into him. You quickly realize is he's a really skinny kid, right? So similar to how Kent Johnson was in his draft year, similar to how Elias Petterson in Vancouver was heading into his draft year. Uh, he was like 120, 130 pounds when he showed up to the to the national program. He's now up uh, up these. I think he's like five foot eleven and 170 pounds kind of thing now. So he's not tiny, uh, but you you can tell when you run into him that, that he's just a kid who needs to get a little bit stronger. Uh, and I think that that's the big factor with him is, is sort of that strength, what it will mean for his skating. He's a, I think his skating has been knocked a little bit too hard. I actually think he's a much better skater than people give him credit and like basically an average skater, if you will. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he, if he gets a little bit quicker and a little bit stronger, suddenly you have an extremely exciting offensive player. Uh, I also liked uh, the the growth of his game defensively there this year, he tracked back and sort of lifted and stole a ton of pucks with that team this year as the season progressed. Um, and I think teams took note of that at U18 worlds, the number of times that he tracked back and you know, sort of stole a puck off someone and then made a play back the other way that resulted in a goal kind of a thing. Um, so there's, there's a lot to like, but it, the, 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 the real calling card of Gabe is no question is just his sort of feel for the game offensively.
0: And you know, you mentioned this in, in your your look at how you scout and what you look for. How how hard is it really to to separate line mates, especially with the U.S. development program, yeah. where you know the, the best the best players are going to play together. And and we've seen some some teams kind of you know read too much into it. I mean, I think Cole Caulfield, there's a size factor there, but there was a lot of talk that you know his goals were pretty much just because of Jack Hughes or, or mostly because of Jack Hughes. Uh, and then you the have guys that. Um, where you know a guy like Alex Turcott who who is still coming into his own from that same team, how, how do you separate, especially guys on that U.S. development program where the, their, their 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 teammates are and line mates are are so good as well, uh, and and you know so many of them are in the top fifteen. How, how do you how do you kind of separate that? What's the challenge there?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a factor that you're always wondering about who which of those three is going to bust, which of those three is going to look like they were carried along once they're separated from them. Obviously, in their scenario, it's that we're not even get a chance to see that at the <laughs> next level because they're all going to college together. So um that's it's difficult. You have to be cognizant of how much those guys are all propping each other up. I think in Gabe's uh uh, sort of for Gabe specifically for a long time he was viewed as kind of a late first round pick and then it just became impossible and, and late first round pick because of that I think because everybody felt that Will was the more talented player and that that Ryan was the real driver on that line and then eventually if you're leading those guys in scoring all year and you're the one breaking the records then you start you have to start to ask different questions about okay who really is making all the plays on this line. And on many nights, it felt like Gabe was the guy who was making all the plays on that line. So uh, I think in, in those, with those three, that the skill level of each is, is, has, has sort of distinguished itself over time. That isn't always the case. Um, There were questions, similar questions last year though, about, Okay, is Logan Cooley <laughs> propping up Jimmy Snuggerud and Cutter Gauthier, and then lo and yeah. behold, Cutter Gauthier and Jimmy Snuggerud had two of the post the best post draft seasons in that draft class, and proved to everybody that maybe it wasn't Logan Cooley, and maybe they're legit players in their own right. So, um, yeah, you got to it can go both ways. Certainly, there are times where players get revealed after the fact to be uh, sort sort of to, for it to have been a little bit of a mirage. I think that certainly happened with that unbelievable age group with Matt Boldy and Cole Caulfield and Trevor egress and Alex Turcotte and all those guys, especially in Turcotte's case, although injuries have played a, a big factor in Turcotte's development. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something you, you can't ignore it. Uh, it's also relevant at the other end of the spectrum with a player like Oliver Moore in this draft class, where you have to recognize that even though he had whatever it was, 71 points and 60 something games, uh, that Oliver Moore was doing that playing primarily with Danny Nelson and, and Ryan fine for most of the year. And then a little bit of the year with Cole Iserman and James Haggins, who are extremely talented players, but are ultimately, uh, underagers on that team. Uh, and in that role where he's not on PP one, he was a driver and he was still produ- producing and you have to, in your mind, ask yourself, okay, if you swapped, Oliver Moore and Will Smith lines what would that look like for the two of them and I think the answer is that Oliver Moore would have been extremely productive obviously he might not have had 120 something points like Will Smith but uh, I think it's clear that that line would have also been a a nightmare to stop so um, yeah it's tricky both ways both in terms of the guys who get all of that opportunity and play together and get to give each other gimmies like they did this year and, and then also at the other end of the spectrum for the guys lower down the lineup of okay who's Who's going to break out? And there's always one from that team as well. I mean, it, look at what Devin Kaplan did last year at at uh, at BC, right? Where he was a fourth-line player at the program and then went to BC and was a, a, excellent as a freshman there. So there's always guys like that that uh, sort of sneak up and surprise you from that team too because they were playing on the fourth line and they didn't get power play time. And they were then drafted in the fourth or fifth round and then they're actually – uh, revealed to be sort of pretty talented players in their own right too. So especially at the national program, it's tricky. Uh, but we've run into, we've run into similar challenges with some of the London Knights teams over the years and <laughs> the lack of opportunities that young players on those teams get. Uh, Connor McMichael's a classic example of a kid who hardly played in his draft year until late in the season, because that's what the Hunter brothers do. And then in his post-draft season had a hundred points and was on the world junior team. Right. So um, and, and sa- same with this Winnipeg ice team, the last couple of years with, with Benson and Savoy and geeky, and they went out and traded for Zach, a And, uh, you, you always have to wonder, okay, those guys are the Harlem globetrotters out there against the bad teams in those leagues. And you got to be cognizant of that as well. And on the flip side of it, you've got a Nate Danielson playing for the Brandon Wheat Kings who had nobody around him. Right. So, uh, it can go both ways for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, you know, when you watch Nick Suzuki and junior, especially before getting, you know, before he was traded, he, he was making plays, you, you can tell when some players are just like, they just need someone who's better <laughs> around them because they're making plays that, you know, so, some people just don't, don't see as well. And you mentioned that a little bit with, with Gabe Perot as well, right? Where, you know, he made plays where, where other guys are not even expecting a pass. And uh, you kind of see that with, with some guys on teams that maybe aren't as, as good as well. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the, the challenge, I guess, in, in scouting is that there's so many variables, right? It's not it's not like other sports where you're looking at, you know, maybe one or two leagues or three leagues. Um, there's so many variables. Um,
1: and, and and it's not like the NHL where there's parity either, right? right? So the guy who's point per game on one team and a guy who's point per game on another team could be two completely le- different levels of players. I made a point in my guide to scouting this year about how Cedric Yangdon was more productive than uh, than Owen Beck last year in the OHL uh, at basically the same birthday. Uh, But Gendon was taken in the fourth round and (laughs) Owen Beck was taken with the first pick of the second round. And that's because their production weren't equal and they were playing in different roles. And he had Luca Del Belbeluz on his team as well. And uh, so there's layers to it for sure. Yeah, uh, that's actually a good transition,
0: mentioning two Canadians prospects, because uh, I I do want to talk a little bit about... um, some prospects and and matt's going to enjoy this one because i want to start off with joshua Wah. um yes he, <laughs> he's he's somebody that you were really high on in his draft year um higher than almost anyone uh and it, it's funny because he he has developed into you know probably what you thought if not if not better. And he seems to be doing it in a way that's, that's different than most prospects, right? You know, a lot of prospects kind of build on their strengths and, and he seems to be just getting better everywhere. Like his weaknesses are getting, are no longer weaknesses and, and things like that. So I, I just want to talk about him, what you saw in his draft year and what you've seen since.
1: In him. Yeah. He's a, a fascinating case study for me. I appreciate you mentioning how high I was on him. Uh <laughs> But no, he's just a kid I spent a lot of time on. I I watched him play for the very first time uh, when I did a story on that Chevalier AAA team that he played for that went, whatever it was, 32 games unbeaten or whatever their ridiculous streak was in AAA. And I did a story on him and sort of got to know him through that process and did a story on that team back then for, for the Athletic while they were on that win streak. And uh, from there, just followed him really, really closely with St. John. I know the staff in St. John quite well and was in constant dialogue for his first couple of years, sort of as a property of their organization in terms of just asking about him. And then it, it was interesting, right, where he requests a trade, he which is pretty rare for a player of that notoriety before they get drafted. Uh, he's not happy there. Part of not being happy there is that there was the pandemic and there were extreme restrictions in Uh, In Eastern Canada and in the Maritimes, as we know, and as a result, uh, people weren't allowed to travel into the Maritimes so his family wasn't allowed to come visit him and I think there was some loneliness happening and then loneliness on top of being on a bad team it's just not for everybody and he basically, uh, they sold him on we're going to get the Memorial Cup we've we're going to secure the Memorial Cup by the time we're in the Memorial Cup we're going to be one of the best teams in the league. And we want you to be our, one of our top six centers for when that happens. And I just think uh, that through a little bit of immaturity at the time and uh, just things not going exactly his way that he, he didn't want to stick around for that. And as a result, once he requested the trade and ended up in Sherbrooke, there were questions about sort of his commitment and sort of the, the personality and, um, and all of that. And then, the player was still the player deep down. There were also questions at the time about sort of his commitment off the puck. And I think what I saw when watching him was a, he had this even at a very young age in that league and a a very impressive ability to protect the puck, uh, sort of slow down his feet, keep defenders on his hips and find ways to get from the boards to closer to the center of the ice, to create good chances on goal. And at the time they weren't all falling, but when you tuned into those sea dogs games, he was so impressive at getting shots on net and creating sort of looks from the middle third of the, of the offensive zone. Uh, Even if he wasn't the quickest kid, you could see the talent. You could see that he was thinking out there offensively. You could see sort of puck protection skill. You could see the size and the frame that he was going to be able to fill out. Um, There was just a lot to like about the player. Uh, And then even in Sherbrooke, I mean, he, he, he took on a bigger role and he was more impressive and, Uh, sort of helped, I think helped improve his stock a little bit there, but there were just enough questions for others that kept him sort of uh, lower in the draft. And I think ultimately for me, the reason I kept him in my first round that year was just because uh, I I saw those, those puck protection tools and I'm never all that worried about whether players can play defense when they're 17 years old, because that can come. We're seeing the same questions now about Edward Shawley in this draft and his commitment off the puck and, uh, I mean, Phil Kessel just won his third Stanley Cup, right? They NHL players come in all shapes and sizes. You'd obviously like the vast majority of your players to be the really competitive types, but I don't necessarily believe that you need all twelve guys to be that. So uh, I wasn't even worried about that. And then you're right that he's he's those have become strengths for him. He's now a penalty viewed as a penalty killer, and he's upped his sort of work rate and getting after pucks and using this the the strength that he's added to win battles and. Uh, his playmaking has, has really sort of rounded out nicely. And now you've got a very, very complete player. He can play both center and the wing. Uh, and there's just, there, there are elements to his game and, and layers to his game that weren't there before. And I think that, not that it was predictable. Uh, I don't want to pat myself on the back too, too much that way, but because there were concerns, but I do think that the, the areas that he needed to grow in were areas that he was capable of, of of growing in that any player is capable of growing in. It wasn't the skill. It wasn't he didn't need this. He he wasn't small. He didn't need uh, to get more talented. He just needed to sort of figure things out out there and and grow up a little bit. And and that's happened.
2: I can't I can't agree with you more on that one. I've I've been watching him particularly since he was drafted. I've been super high on him. I had him in my top five for the top twenty five under twenty five last Um, here um we we got a pretty good group this year so it might be hard to keep him in there but i don't see any reason why i wouldn't because like you said he's improved at everything like his skating got better and uh particularly the defense and the penalty killing aspect is huge for his nhl projection because that's going to make him a lot more versatile and for me that was more important than the point production i think a lot of HAPS fans were looking at the point production this year and they're going well he's a little bit off from what he did last year and for me I, i don't i don't care about his points going down a little bit in terms of points per game For me, it was seeing that uh, development on defense, that development of the penalty-killing game. Uh, He was fantastic at the world juniors on the penalty kill absolutely fantastic and that for me was worth a lot more than the point production because we know he can score and we also know he's not going to score at the same rate in the nhl anyways so he needed to develop some of those other aspects to to get better to increase his future projection in the nhl and he did that and uh, i can't be more excited to see the kid turn pro next year i'd love to see him uh, with laval for the first little bit and get an opportunity to kind of you know get his feet wet in the professional game. Um but he, I I think he's going to push for a roster spot. I think he's going to make a tough decision for them at the end of camp and I can't wait to see it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't disagree.
0: And you just had a, a really good piece on on Jared Davidson uh, in the Athletic which yeah. um which is it, it the story it has a lot of similarities to a guy like Arbor Jacki and and it's funny because they were picked up by two different administrations. Um, obviously, the, the the scouts are are similar, um, but but the the decision makers are, are different. But the the stories are are, are similar in, in the fact that you know no one saw these kids coming. They kind of just worked at it themselves and and improved the areas that you can improve in the pandemic. And and I think that that's something that a lot of things you know, we talk about the lack of development time for a lot of these prospects. But it gave also some prospects the ability to improve their skating and, and focus on things like that. Uh, things you can do by yourself. Um, And so what, um, you know, doing that story, what are your impressions on him? And, and obviously there's questions about, you know, he he has to go pro this year. Um, You know, what are your, what are your impressions of him as as a player and, um, you know, compared to, you know, maybe this time last year?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously a great story as a kid who was undrafted into the WHL Uh, and then walked on at, at his, at a 16 year at, no, at 17, I basically walked onto the, his, his club. Right. So, uh, unheard of, uh, all but unheard of basically for that to happen. He wasn't listed by anybody. He was passed up twice in the WHL draft. He was cut from his midget AAA team in his post draft post Bantam draft season in minor hockey, uh, Got into Seattle through a relationship with the team's goalie coach who was the uh, sort of involved with his minor hockey team and then uh, beat out a bunch of second and third round picks as uh, to to sort of steal a roster spot and stick with the team. And then when undrafted in the in the NHL twice, his third crack at it finally got picked after uh, leading that team in scoring last year then led them in scoring again this year. And now he's uh, graduating from the WHL after having basically two back-to-back 40-goal, 90-point seasons, uh, plus two excellent, excellent playoff runs, like 20-plus-point playoff runs uh, in the WHL with the top team, right? And doing it as a, as a centerman as well, as a top-six center. So uh, credit to him. A really interesting sort of player now. Uh, he's, he's not the fastest kid, but he you, and he's not the tallest kid, but you see him and he's kind of five foot 11, six feet, and he's really, really stocky. And he's got the sort of beard and he looks bigger and stronger out there than everybody else. And he's works extremely hard and wins his battles and can shoot the puck. Um, I do wonder whether he tops out kind of as a, a call up guy, right? Like the, the classic sort of good second line AHL player who works hard and elevates his line and can sort of do a little bit of everything and play in all situations, but maybe doesn't quite have uh, sort of 82 games a year NHL upside. Like I could see him becoming a guy who plays 10 or 15 NHL games a year for them kind of thing and uh, becomes a a depth piece for them. Uh, But even if he does that, that's every organization needs those guys. And it's a bonus when those guys are, are workers, right. And they're, uh, they'll take whatever role is given to them. And, and when they've got a backstory like his, it's, uh, you, 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 he's sort of easy to cheer for. Right. So I could see him becoming that becoming kind of a, a guy who rotates in and off of the fourth line. And, uh, if he's not with the NHL club, he's a sort of solid player, maybe wears a letter in the AHL and and becomes a, a sort of part of the organization that way.
0: Yeah. The, the Canadians have a lot of guys like that. Um, you know and. It, the the one thing I noticed um at the draft, uh the twenty twenty two draft is they had a type in that draft, right? Like not not in, not in shape and sizes, but in terms of personality. And um, you know, I'm sure that you um you spent some time with, with some of the, the guys in the OHL like the gain dolls and the roars and the Becks. and um but they just just very confident, you know. Lane Hudson um is in that group, Davidson. Um yeah. just just guys who are very confident and and kind of just put it all out there and 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 smart kids too right like it just um it, it's it's interesting to me that all the guys in that draft they're they're likely very likely not all going to make it in the NHL but uh I wouldn't bet against any of them
1: yeah no I think that's a, a point well made um certainly I mean I don't know how how much uh Habs fans have got to know Vincennes, but if if they haven't they will and uh he was easily and I don't use this term lightly but easily one of the sort of brightest lights in terms of the people I spoke to in last year's (laughs) rap class. I speak to the vast majority of the top 100 or so kids over the course of the season and uh, top two interview for me without question, just in terms of the Mm. way he spoke, the way he carried himself, his energy, his enthusiasm. Uh, He's uh, an extremely sort of lovable kid. And I think there's, there's something to that where, uh, they saw this skinny kid playing for the 67s who was from Austria and had a long way to go in terms of getting stronger and developing the rest of his game, but had some skating and had some sort of soft finesse skill. And on top of that was just an awesome kid. And I think they felt that that was reason enough to to take him. So uh, I'm always in, intrigued by that him and Owen Pickering, who was taken in the first round by Pittsburgh were probably the two kids who most impressed me that way. And just in terms of, having, being able to sort of hold a conversation with them. So uh, I think he, and and I wasn't alone in that. I had multiple scouts text me after the draft that they were blown away by, by Roar's uh, combine interviews and all that. So I think that was, uh, it does feel like that was a little bit of part of the process for Montreal.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, I was at the draft and and after he, he left the podium, uh, even while he was talking at the podium, I was just thinking to myself, like, th- this is, Probably one of the, the brightest hockey players I've ever talked to, um, yeah. and just his, you know, he made he grew up playing tennis, and just his analogy to to how tennis helps him on the ice is just um, really unbelievable self awareness, and yeah, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. Off the top because that's exactly how I walked away from um the, the first time I, I saw him speak as well. Um at, at the draft podium, which you know, in Montreal, not an easy place to be, um, talking to that Montreal media for the first time. Um, but yeah, it just it, it definitely struck me as as that. And, and yeah, like I said, you know, I don't know if he makes the NHL, but I'm not gonna bet against a kid like that. Um at any at any stretch.
1: No, no, yeah, I agree. Um, I want
0: to I want to turn the focus a little bit back to the draft. Um, to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, what, one name, and I don't want to say that one name that you're higher on than everybody else, or that you think this one name that's that that isn't getting the attention that they should. And this doesn't have to be a first round prospect. Uh, it could be somebody who maybe goes you know much later in the draft. But one guy that that you just really uh, think is going to be a a name that people are going to know that they might not know right now.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh one of my deeper cuts would probably be a, a Slovak kid by the name of Alex Czernik. Um Czernik is uh sort of a smaller, smallish kid, 5'10, 5'11 winger. Um not not tiny, but not big either. Uh played in Hockey Svenskin this year. Uh he's on the older side of the draft, so he's a late 04 and this draft is obviously predominantly 05s. Um, so, wasn't at U18 Worlds. wasn't front of mind at at the Helinka Gretzky Cup. wasn't playing at the sort of international U18 events throughout the year for Slovakia, uh, and just I don't think maybe got the shine that he probably deserved as a result. Uh, but was equally as productive in hockey. Al as as Dalvor Dvorsky, who we know is going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, obviously I'm not saying they're the same caliber of player, but that's just uh, in terms of the relative production. He was, he was a good player at that level. He had 10 plus points uh, playing. I think he had ended up maybe even closer to 20 points playing in hockey. Al this year. prior to that was a point per game player at J 20 level last year, which if you rewind a year in terms of saying, okay, he's on the older side of this draft, what did he look like a year ago? He was still a sort of top productive player at the J 20 level in Sweden Uh, at the prior when he did play at U 18s and at the Helenka Gretzky cup was a sort of right productive at the top of his group scoring eight, nine points in five or six games kind of every time he played internationally. I thought he looked good uh, as a as a draft eligible at the World Juniors in Halifax, playing on their U twenty team, uh, and is just a, a really quick, nimble player out there. Uh, I wouldn't say he's the fastest player in the draft, but he was still on my top <laughs> list when I did my sort of draft superlatives, if you will. Uh, piece which dropped today, and that's because of just the, how nimble he is on his edges and his ability to dart around and, and attack on angles, and uh, a really sort of fun player to watch at at, at that level. Whether it's hockey Al Svenskin or or against his peer group and his sort of age group, if you will. Uh, and I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was a sort of second line second line winger someday. And if you can get that in the third or fourth round, where I think he's likely to be taken, um, that I think there's some value there. So not a surefire NHL or anything like that, but there's he's got some skill. He's got skating. Uh, he's he's sort of a ta- very tactile offensive player in terms of when he chooses to shoot and when he chooses to pass and how he attacks and. Uh, just a, a a very sort of uh, attacking aggressive player inside the offensive zone so um i'm i'm a big big fan of of, of and the way he plays he's in the second round sort of early second round on my list uh won't be picked there but uh, that's sort of where i have him slotted and would not be surprised in the least if uh, him and Dvorsky were were having fun at the world Juniors uh together on the same line in uh in Gothenburg in 2024.
0: Everything you've said to me just tells me that the Montreal Canadiens are going to take him. Um, <laughs> no, but no, just, um, he, he played with Slavkowski and Meshar in that U18 team a couple years ago as well. He, right? he did. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, everyone was, you know, leading in, well, you know, two, a month, two months ago, everyone was saying, Oh, the Canadians are going to take Dvorsky in the first round without even knowing where the Canadians were, ta- were drafting in the first round. Um, but yeah, if. You're looking for a Slovak that Montreal might get um circle his name I think because he, he it just they, they seem to like that team <laughs> um and and they're they're scouts that watch the the young Slovakians as well, right so um is there anything else um that maybe we didn't touch on that that you want to mention about this this draft?
1: No, not really. I mean, the only other question as it pertains to Montreal is, 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 are they going to take one of the five or six top goalies? And if so, either. when, when do they pull that trigger? And the sense I got at the combine was that they, I don't think they're going to take Carabal and I don't think they're going to, I just don't think they want to use that, whatever that first pick in the second, I think they're 30, is it 37? Yeah. Um, the
0: fifth, fifth pick in the second round. Yeah. So yeah. So
1: I, I did, I'm just, I'm not convinced they're going to use 37 on a goalie but the one of the strengths of this draft is that there are six i believe six sort of legit goalie prospects it's the first time i've ever had six that many goalie prospects in my top 100 i normally have three or four guys and this year i have six um so the, the they there could be a, a maybe not a true sort of number 1 but there aren't many true number ones in the nhl <laughs> period these days once you get past uh Vasilevsky and and Sorokin and Shesterkin and a couple of others. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. if he, there are, there are guys in that group, like I wouldn't be, they're not all six of them are going to be, are going to hit, but I would not be surprised if two of Adam Guyan, Trey Augustine, Michael Harabal, uh, Jacob Fowler. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the flip a coin on each of those guys and three out of those six or two out of those six become sort of good, good NHL goalies.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely gonna be interesting because yeah, the 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 vibe that we got at the combine is yeah, they talked to every every goaltender every goaltender that was there. Mentioned um, that they spoke to Montreal and and obviously it's a need for for the organization in terms of depth and and yeah, I mean if you know if you feel that you need to have those those two goalies because you know let, let's face it, there there aren't very many carry prices out there um to, to be that number one goalie like you mentioned. So they're they're definitely gonna I, I think they're definitely gonna take a goalie probably earlier. Um, I, I don't think with that second rounder, but once you get to the third or fourth round, or even once they see a couple of goalies go off the board, um, you know, you don't want to, you want to maybe avoid that run and kind of trade up a little bit. Um, I, I definitely think that that's, that's a the direction to go in as well. And it, yeah. it does seem like, you know, even going back to the world juniors, there were so many undrafted goalies who were, who were starring for their teams. Um, that the Czech goalie, uh, Thomas, uh, Sekanik is another one who might, will probably get drafted this year uh As
1: yeah, well as going to be a little bit later, but certainly yeah. I think I think Guyon. The expectation is that Guyon's going to go in the second round. So,
0: so much y'all has to go, if they want to stock up on Slovaks, they're going to have to maybe get an extra third rounder to get Chirnok and, and Gajan, right?
2: I'd I'd be super interested in Millage as a late round pick for sure out of Seattle. He's yeah. what his second or third time going through the draft. He was yeah. really good at the World Juniors. I'd, I felt like he was quite good uh, in, in the playoffs as well.
1: Uh, um, I do wonder with Milich whether because this is his third and final crack at it whether um teams almost play the risk game of if we can let him if enough teams let him slip through we can all sort of compete to sign him kind of thing yeah uh, and then we don't have to use a pick on him that's always a conversation that teams are having when guys are in their third year uh so I do think that's that could happen with him but I could also absolutely see a team using a fourth or fifth round pick or whatever uh and 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 snatching up his rights
0: yeah munchell definitely doesn't shy away from drafting over age players uh rafael Javi pinard xavi simoneau uh, uh norlander there's hey, there's a bunch Gagenton. of guys that uh that they've taken uh in their their draft plus one or even later uh and, and have turned out to be uh pretty
2: pretty important members of the organization well, they, they love their, their late round steals. So there's one more that I want to throw out there, Scott, because you mentioned that, you know, the staff in St. John pretty well. I actually live in the area. I moved here last year and one guy that I've been watching that I'm going to write a draft profile on him because I think he, I think he deserves to get picked, but I'm not sure that he will. is Cole Burbage. Uh, I was watching some of their games this year. Obviously St. John, very struggling team. They surprised gets by managing to take one game off them in the playoffs, but realistically they were they were significantly overmatched in that playoff series but cole burbage was a guy that actually impressed me a lot he's got a lot of hockey sense um he's very well positioned he's super tall and he's a pole. he's like six foot one and 160 pounds bit of an awkward skating stride but i think there's a player there and uh you probably know the organization better than i do uh but i asked a few people about him when i was uh, at games this season and i was hearing from a lot of people listen this kid's going to be a lot better than people give him credit for a bit of a late bloomer had 50 points as a rookie this year have you heard anything good about him and do you think this is a kid that teams should be targeting in those late rounds that six seven round area
1: yep he's in the conversation there um certainly was a good player at mount i believe he went to mount saint charles prior right yes yeah, so he was he was a good if I recall correctly he was a good player at Mount St. Charles but took a little bit longer to to sort of come through the ranks. The classic sort of Nova Scotia kid where the the QMJHL draft can uh, let some of those sort of Maritimes kids that play AAA in the Maritimes and many of them then go south. We saw Jordan Dume and others have sort of taken a similar path where they'll play AAA in the Maritimes rather than Quebec, they don't get the same love for the draft. And then they sort of take a bit of a different route. Some of them consider going the college route. And then St. John definitely has an extremely impressive track record of, of recruiting kids away from the college route. I could, I could list off 10 kids that have played for that team in the last three seasons who were committed to colleges and somehow the sea dogs got them to come play for them. And uh, Burbage is another, another one of those kids. So uh, interesting one. He's he, I believe he's a, a, a younger kid too, like an August, August birthday. So there's the belief there that he's got more runway. He's got more room to sort of fill out that frame and uh, could take a big step next year for that team and be a a sort of top player on that team as they try to rebuild here. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, there there are some interesting qualities there. He's a pretty smart uh, player in terms of just sort of the way he sees the ice and passes the puck and, and all of that. So uh, there's something there. He wasn't on my list and wasn't among the, uh, I did a hut, my top 100 and then 27 honorable mentions. So he wasn't in my top 127, if you will. Uh, but if, it, if my list had have run to a hundred or 50 or a hundred or 60, he would have been in that next group of players that I watched this year and was at least a little bit, in, uh, a little bit impressed in kind of thing. I saw, so I'm on the right track. So we'll, but we'll get that profile in there and then I'll make, I'll
2: make sure I mention that Scott Wheeler gives them a stamp of approval. So it's, it's your fault. If anybody drafts him and he's not, he
1: may slip through though. I think uh, <laughs> yeah. because of that team yeah. where they played uh, because of the work he still has to do, uh, he may be like a development camp invite for somebody kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I could see that a hundred percent. I just, I think he deserves a shot is just from from me watching him. I, I was super impressed with him on that kind of a struggling team to put up 50 points. Uh, and the way he did it, like you said, was smart passing just really moving the puck intelligently and being well positioned i, I think that's something that you know particularly at 6-1 if if the guy puts on some muscle and works on his skating stride a little bit i think you're seeing a completely different player next year
0: yeah right. uh, scott thank you so much for joining us uh enjoyed the uh the, the last stretch of of this uh this draft and when do you actually take a break? Like, when's your when's the, the time when you can be like okay, twenty twenty three is done now. When's yeah, that? Well, is it, is it is that after day two of the draft? Is that where it goes?
1: Not really, because we uh, <laughs> I'll then fly back home and we'll have free agency the next day this year. Because of the way <laughs> nice. that it's mapped out, uh, I'm not super involved in our free agency coverage, but there will be. There's always a, a trade or two that also happens, and then there's prospects normally going going one <laughs> way that I have to do a little bit of stuff on for us. So uh, don't really get the long weekend off there. The Canada day long weekend isn't really a weekend off for any of us, but, uh, after that, I will try to, uh, I'll try to squirrel away. I also have my, uh, my drafted prospects rankings run each summer. So I'll have to, uh, uh, put that together. It's typically a top 50 players and a top 10 goalies that I do. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody can expect that Connor Bedard and uh, and company will be at the very top of that. But then you've also got to include uh, the Logan Coley's and the Simon Nemiches and the David Yurichek's and all those guys as well. Right. So uh, that'll be next on my docket. And then uh, everybody uh, kind of screws off at the athletic in August. The, uh, the content at the site kind of gets uh, a little sparse in August because that's when everybody tends to take their vacation. But uh, lo and behold, uh, August is when the good people at Hockey Canada decided they would host a U18 tournament every year so uh, <laughs> we'll have the, the Holinka Gretzky Cup and the World Junior Summer Showcase in Plymouth and it'll be uh, right back at it so I'll probably try to get, uh, I'll probably try to take a week off uh, sort of late July.
0: And then you have your your pipeline rankings which everyone yells at you for right?
1: Yeah, those are those aren't till January. Corey does his in the summer, and I do mine right. in January, just so we can kind of spread them out. So I've got right. some breathing room there. Uh, but yeah, well, uh, that'll that's always fun. Where I get smarter and smarter according to the fan bases as we as we get higher and <laughs> higher in the list. So uh, it's always a, a funny coincidence.
0: All right, Scott. Thank you so much. You can follow
1: Scott on Twitter
0: at uh, Scott C Wheeler, uh, and obviously all those who work at the Athletic. Uh thank you so much and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the I guess the fun time of the year for you right to to see uh how everything goes in the draft.
1: Yeah honestly Nashville is going to be a lot of fun the for, we're there uh sort of Monday to Friday at the Athletic for a bit of a summit that we do where we get everybody together and do some meetings and that kind of a thing and uh it's always a, a good party I'm I'm sure it'll be tough to follow up on Montreal last year that's probably <laughs> as much fun as I've ever had doing my job uh but uh I I think Nashville should be a lot of fun too. Yeah, I'm.
0: I I, Nashville is a great time uh, at all times. Never mind when they're hosting the NHL draft Uh, Uh and everybody kind of of congregates there. Uh, Again, thank you so much, and uh, and look forward to to seeing all your uh, all your stuff uh, heading into next season. Yep. Cheers, guys. Thanks.